Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, it's good to see all of you. I, uh, I got an email this morning uh, that Pastor Ed had written to us, and he, was, he read it to, wrote it to the leadership of the church, but he was just saying uh, how blessed that he and Karen were two weeks ago when we had our uh, 50th celebration and his retirement celebration, how uh, blessed and overwhelmed they were with all the kindness, the kind words that you all said, and the gift that was given to them for um, Sabbath rest. And he just wanted to say thank you, and uh, I wanted to c- communicate that to you uh, today. And uh, also, he, he said this, which is, is so great. He said it before, but I just feel like it, it's worth reiterating that he said, I really believe that the best days of Faith Community Church are yet to come. And my prayer for you is that, yeah, I can, I can clap to that. And he said, my prayer for you is that you be in unity. And the prayer said that, that Jesus prayed, I pray that as fathers, you and I are one, that they will be in one. And uh, that was his prayer. And then he also asked that we continue to pray for him and his ministry going forward. So if we would be faithful to do that. How about we just do that right now? Let's pray for Pastor Ed and Karen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for 32 wonderful years of Pastor Ed and Karen's leadership. And we just pray for them going forward as they step out into this new endeavor with their ministry to reach out to pastors and missionaries and evangelists who are just broken down and need a place Uh, to go. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for provision. And we thank you for doing exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within us. We thank you. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. I didn't pray in the first service, but I just felt like, hey, let's do it right now. Also, before we jump into the message, I just wanted to take an opportunity to talk about what we're doing on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we do have a service here. If you haven't uh, had the opportunity to come, it's great. If you're just looking for something to do because you're not busy like everybody else isn't busy. Um, at 7 o'clock, we have, we have stuff going for kids, for youth. Uh, we, we, bring in, uh, the, we go out to the community and we bring people in, mostly just kids and youth, to this place. We've been doing it for a long time. It's awesome. But for the adults who aren't serving, uh, we have a kind of like a, a, a Bible study on steroids a little bit. What I mean is there's a lot of people that come, probably about 125, and uh, it's an opportunity to ask questions. Right now, we're doing a study by John Revere. It's called uh, The Holy Spirit and Introduction. It's part teaching on video, and there's a book that we you can follow along with, and Vincent is leading the class. He's doing a great job. He wrote the workbook for John Bevere. And if you've ever had questions about the Holy Spirit uh, and anything related to the Holy Spirit, and if you're like me, you probably had questions, it's a great time to come and learn. Last week we started it. It was awesome. But it gives you an opportunity to ask questions. No questions are off the table. So I just want to personally invite you to come. We ordered 50 books, and we only have four left, and we're going to order more. So if you'd like a book, uh, there's two left, actually, I just heard. Uh, two books left. We can order more. I just want to invite you to come because I think it's vitally important that as a church we understand who the Holy Spirit is and what He's here to do. And not just in, from a, a perspective of just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit as a holistic person and being and what He's here to do. So anyway, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you to come. And that's that. So let's jump in. Last week I preached a message that had the title of Now What? with a question mark. You know, we've come off of uh, celebrating 50 years as a church, and God has done some amazing things. Our church started right across the way in that building, uh, across the parking lot inside of an old donut shop, and here we stand today 50 years later. God's done some amazing things. We also have trans- are transitioning uh, leadership. Pastor Ed and Karen served here faithfully for 32 years, and God did some amazing things with them. 
and we've come through a transition of leadership, and uh, I believe that we've transitioned really, really well. A lot of churches don't make it through what we've just gone through. And uh, I had a question that I wanted to attempt to answer, and I thought it may be a question that was on everybody's heart and mind is, now what? Now what do we do? We've made it to this point, but we must go forward because, as Pastor Ed said, the best days of FCC are yet to come. And so what do we do? And so um, I didn't know what I was going to preach on this week after I finished last week, and even Monday I didn't really know. But as I was praying and thinking about it, I thought, why don't we just do a series called Now What?, and uh, do our best to maybe answer some of those questions. Um, don't really have a, a five-year plan, again, to submit to you. And with milestones and, and at what month we're going to be doing what, I'm just really uh, just trying to walk through Scripture and see what God has called us to do as a people individually and as a church. And last week we started in Joshua chapter 1. The nation of Israel was a big transition from Moses, who'd been leading them for 40 to 50 years, to Joshua. And uh, we looked at that chapter, and we talked about two areas. What do we need to know, and what do we need to do going forward? I want to recap that. And the first thing that we need to know, number one, is that Jesus is the head of this church. That it's not my church, it's not your church, this is God's church. And he's put Jesus as the head of the church. So if we ever wonder who is leading this church, it's Jesus. And we are all here as stewards of this church. Number two, we need to know that God is with us and he has gone before us. God isn't going anywhere. And in fact, his word says he does go before us and he prepares the way. So he's seen everything that we're going to encounter. Every piece of provision that we need, he has put in place and he has prepared the way for us to go forward. And lastly, what we need to know is that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's not going to step aside. He's not going to let us go. He's not going to neglect us or refrain himself from us. He's with us. And he's not going anywhere. And we talked about what do we need to do. And according to this passage, number one, the first thing was be strong and of good courage. That that phrase was echoed three times in a matter of four verses. As God was speaking to Joshua before he had to address the entire nation of Israel as their leader. And it said this, that we're going to speak God's word. We're going to be people who speak life and not death. Because God's word is life. And when we don't know what to say... We're not going to say anything except speak God's word. And if we don't know what God's word says about what we're thinking about or struggling with, we're going to go to his word and we're going to read it. And not only are we going to speak it, but then we're going to act upon it. We're going to be people who do God's word. And we can't go wrong when we speak his word and when we do his word. And then the last one was that we will not live in fear nor be dismayed. We are not going to proceed forth into the future from a posture of fear nor are we going to to be terrified and be gripped by fear, but we're going to proceed forth in faith and in the knowing knowing who God is and that he said, I'm with you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I'm the head of this church through my son Jesus Christ. That's what we talked about last week, and I just wanted to to, uh, just reinforce that a little bit, and I wanted to to transition into what we're going to talk about this week. The title of uh, this sermon is, is, again, Now What?, but it's our city, our country, and our world. And as I was thinking through this week and praying, God, what, you know, what do, uh, what do we, what do we talk about on this Sunday? I've got a lot of ideas. I've got a lot of things I'd like to talk about, but I know that God has a message for us as a church um, and as individuals. And I couldn't help but be drawn to what I believe is uh, the greatest transition in the Bible. And that is the Great Commission as Jesus is transitioning 
leadership from what he's begun to his followers as he ascends back into heaven. He has a, a meeting, or so to speak, with about 500 people, roughly, before he ascends into heaven. The Bible says that he took his 11 disciples, and there were other followers. There are 11 because Judas had went off and done his thing, and, and he didn't end up in a very good place. And so, and scholars believe that he spoke to about 500 people because 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions that Jesus was seen by at least 500 people before he, lift, he ascended into heaven after he was resurrected. And so I want to talk today about the Great Commission. And I want to talk about it from a perspective of, as a church going forward, what do we do? And that we reach our city, our country, and our world. And I think that that is implicit in the Great Commission. So I want to read today from, from Matthew and Mark. Uh, the, the Great Commission really does appear in all four Gospels, but it's most implicit and most succinct in Matthew and in Mark. You can read pieces of it in Luke chapter 24 and I think John chapter 20. But uh, I just want to talk from these two passages because they're really familiar. And so let's read them, and then we will, we will go forward this morning. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And Mark says it like this, and I like Mark because Mark always gets straight to the point. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. This is Jesus. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. One sentence. Bam. And he says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Ultimately, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, because without him... We don't have anything. Paul said in him, we live, move, and have our being. And so we just thank you this morning that you're going to speak to us. You're going to uh, show us what we are to do as a church going forward. So I just ask for our ears, our hearts, and our minds to be open to receive from you, but also to be open to the work that your word will do with inside of us because of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, go. Turn to your other neighbor and say, go. Go. That's what that's that's how this begins. Go. And uh, have you ever have you guys ever uttered this phrase or have this thought that if it were me, I probably wouldn't do it like that. Anybody ever said that or, or at least thought it? I know I have. You know, I've never really said it to the guy in charge, but um, I've said it to other people who I thought may want to know what I would do. But we all we've, we've all had those thoughts. If it were me, I'd probably would, uh, you know, I would approach it from this angle or. Uh, I would do this because I think it'll have a better outcome. You know, in John chapter 16, Jesus makes a statement to his disciples, and it's really part of a conversation he's been having with them for, for a couple chapters. He's been, he's been telling them that he's going to leave, that he's not going to spend eternity with them on earth. And he says this phrase, it's better that I go. It's better that I go. For when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And in some translations you read it, it's actually like this. It's advantageous or beneficial to you that I go. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I found myself thinking about this whole idea of Jesus leaving. And again, this is me looking back. And I, I've often thought to myself, you know, God, if it were me, I think I would have done a little different. And maybe, maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't, but I have. 
And I think about Jesus leaving the earth, and I think at times, not saying that I, I reside here, but I have thought at times, I think it would have been better if Jesus had stayed. Because then he could have went around and impacted everybody on the face of the earth. You know, he, he could have engaged them, and he could have, he could have changed them. And we could have just, like, followed them around and helped them, you know. And, uh, and I think about the disciples and, and what it went to them to hear Jesus say those words and how they didn't welcome it with open arms at the beginning. I mean, three chapters, Jesus is explaining this. And, I mean, because what could be better than Jesus in physical, visible form, right? You could reach out and touch him. You could hear him speak. I mean, he'd be right there. It'd be, it'd be pretty amazing. And I thought, you know, it, it just would have to be more effective. And, th- and then I began to think that, you know, if, if I continue in the thought that, of, man, it would have been better if Jesus were here, then what I'm doing is, maybe unconsciously, is I'm saying that what God did is not good enough and that God does not know best and that God's plan is flawed and mine is better. And, you know, that's not a place that any of us should live. And I, I, I've grown up um, in church, not not necessarily this church. I have been here since I was about 10 years old, but just growing up with church people, you know what I mean? I've said this phrase, and I've heard this phrase repeated. Ah, if only Jesus were here today, things would be different. Or I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. Anybody ever said that? I know I have, and I understand it. I understand the motivation behind it. But I think that uh, when we say that, there are some unintended consequences to us when we live in the reality of thinking, if Jesus were here, then things would be different. Or I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. Because what we're really saying is, I just want Jesus to do something. I'm waiting for Jesus to do some kind of work. And what we are not taking into account is this, is that Jesus did what he came to do. That's why the Bible calls what Jesus did his finished work. Jesus already did everything that he came to this earth to do. He did what none of us could do, what no human being could ever do, and that is make, that is make payment for sin. That is to bring a regeneration to our lives, to welcome us back into the family of God by accepting His sacrifice and realizing that we are in need of a Savior. And God's plan to hit for Jesus to go and then for us to go forward doesn't always fit well within our brains, but it is a perfect plan because it's God's plan. And I'm not saying that we need to feel guilty for saying phrases like, if only Jesus were here, I'm just wanting to come back. I get it. But what, I'm, what I am saying is this, I think it has created some sort of complacency and passivity in us because we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. And when I, when I think about that in light of the Great Commission, there is no passivity or complacency in the Great Commission whatsoever. There is no yearning or longing for just Jesus to do it. Now, yes, you read the Bible, they were, they were expectantly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm expectantly awaiting the return. But why I'm expecti- expectantly waiting, I realize there is something for me to do. I play a part of this. And I want to talk about the Great Commission this morning going forward. And there's some action words in there. I just want to talk through these action words. I don't have like three main points. I just really want to talk about what I believe God's ultimate plan is. And that's, that's, that's people. You know what I mean? He loves people so much that he sent Jesus Christ to do what he did. I believe that, number one, that Jesus was God's greatest plan of all. And I think, number two, the church is God's greatest plan. We are God's 
greatest idea. God created the church. We didn't. You know what I mean? And God gave the church, us, as individuals, as people. Not this building, not the institution of the church, but people. Those who are believing him and following in Jesus. This mandate. Because that's what the Great Commission is. It's a mandate. It's not an idea. It's not a thought. It's not a suggestion. Jesus wasn't sitting there thinking, well, I'm leaving here in a few moments. I'm going to shoot up. And uh, I really just need to give these people something to do while I'm gone. No, I mean, this is, this is straight from his mouth. This is the word of God to these people. And as I said, there was approximately 500 people there. And these are not like perfect theologians. I mean, these aren't people who have studied in seminary. These are a bunch of, you know, ragtag, motley crew people from every different walk of life that have have begun to follow Jesus. And not all of them are in full belief because we read he had to deal with some disbelief. But there's 500 people there. And Jesus says these words. And I believe that when he said these words, they were full of urgency. They were full of power. They were full of, of every kind of emotion that you could have imagined in a positive direction. I mean, I think there was, a, there was a, just a sense of responsibility. There was a sense of action associated with it. I mean, this is Jesus' final words in physical, visible form to his followers, to about 500 people. I want to read it again. We're going to talk about it. Jesus came to them, spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So the first word there is go. That's the first action word, go. What does go mean? Yeah, it literally does mean to go. But in the sense of the word, I just was really uh, impacted and wanted to study it a little more, that Greek writers would use this word go in poetry as a to set into motion, to, for something to begin, like a journey was beginning. And, and the word literally means to go away. Jesus is sending them out. But it, in, it has uh, inherent to the word this pursuing of a journey, this leading or transferring over of something. So when Jesus said go, he wasn't just say, get away from me. He was commissioning them. He was sending them out on a journey. And that's what that's what this great commission is. It's a journey which began, you know, 2000 years ago as Jesus spoke to these followers. And what I like is because it also gives instruction of where to go because a real big question that I would have had is where do I go, Jesus? Where do I go? I know you said go to all the world, but where do I start? Where do I begin? Luke chapter 24, verse 47, you can read it, says that, and this shall start in Jerusalem. Where was Jerusalem? It was their city. It was right where they lived. Because Jesus, while he was here on earth, he did not minister to the entire world. He did not go to Europe or to North America or to Asia. He didn't, he didn't venture over there. He stayed within the confines of a pretty close proximity to his place of birth. And then sent us out. So he said, go, and I want you to start in Jerusalem. And then if we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. He says, but you, this is Jesus speaking, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This passage right here is where I get the phrase, our city, our country, and our world. Jerusalem was their city. Judea and Samaria was their country the surrounding area in which they lived, and to the ends of the earth was the rest of the world. So Jesus gives us a pattern. Where do you start? Right where you live. 
right here in Jerusalem. This shall begin in Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem it shall go out to Judea and Samaria. And it's really neat that he says Samaria, because Jews hated Samaritans. They did not like them whatsoever. And really, this idea of the Great Commission was a revolutionary thing. I read one statement, it said this, The idea of a faith that would go into all the world wasn't part of the Jewish thinking of the day, nor was it a part of the pagan thinking. It was a revolutionary thing. This idea that what Jesus was saying, this gospel that would go all over the world, this had never been really thought of before. And this is what Jesus is saying. Somebody else said that the gospel, excuse me, that the world is the theater for the gospel. The world is the stage on which the gospel will be displayed and played out. And that's what Jesus said. I want you to go. Now, I recognize that not all of us in here are missionaries. I myself am not a missionary, but it very easily could be. I love to the ends of the earth part. I mean, if I weren't doing what I'm doing right now, if God hadn't put me here, I believe he'd put me in some other country. Because I've had the opportunity to travel, and I love it. And it's just, I mean, it's not always easy, but that's, that's me. But I recognize that not everybody is that, and that's okay. I also recognize that not everyone is a preacher, and that's okay. God's not calling us to be preachers and missionaries to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm talking about majority. Some he does. But he is calling us because this is a corporate responsibility, and this is an individual responsibility. As a church body, we have this responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. But as individuals, we have to understand that he's speaking to us as well. Because I think what's happened, unfortunately, is is that a lot of people have aligned themselves with a church or a building or an institution, and they may give financially and they may participate, and they think because they're doing those things that they are fulfilling the Great Commission. Yes, by affiliation we are, but we don't just need to do something by affiliation. We need to be part of that as well because I'm of the belief that when we individually take on the responsibility and as individuals we come together and we do those things corporately, that's really what Jesus was intending, that we go forward because it's, again, a personal responsibility to go. What else does he say to do? He says, make disciples. Who do we make? Who, what's a disciple? It's someone who is, has become or someone who is in the process of becoming a student or a follower, basically a convert, a believer. So who do we make disciples of? Everybody that doesn't know Jesus. Everybody that does not know who Jesus is is a potential believer. I shared with you a few weeks ago the missionary that I work with in Guatemala. He calls everybody who's not a believer a pre-Christian. He never calls them a non-believer. He never calls them a pagan or anything. He says they're, they're a pre-Christian. He approaches every person as if they are one day going to accept Jesus Christ. I just love that attitude. I love that outlook. And I think there's something in that that we need to begin to uh, put into place in our lives. So make disciples. What else did he say? He says to teach. What do we teach? He says, teach everyone everything that I have commanded you. What did Jesus command people to do? What did he teach them? He taught them the word of God. How do we know that? Because Jesus is the word of God, and everything that he said is God's word, and we have a record of God's word. It's called the Bible. See, we don't have to produce the content. We don't have to be creative about what we're going to say. We can look at what God has given us, and we can speak those words because God's word never returns void, and it always prospers for that which it was intended. It may not prosper and return uh, non-void, whatever the word is. 
in a timely manner, but it's God's word. And if he said that's what's going to happen, it is what's going to happen. That takes a huge load off. I don't got to make stuff up to say. God has put it before me. I have a responsibility to study it. I've got a responsibility to know it because it's not just the pastor's job to study the word. It's not just the pastor's job to know the word. It's not just the pastor's job to know the Bible. It's every single believer. Every single person who follows Christ, you have a responsibility to know what God says so that you can do what God says so we can accomplish the Great Commission. And that's to reach people for Jesus Christ. I love the way Mark puts it. Just go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. He says every creature. Preach. Preach means to to publish or to proclaim publicly. And it doesn't mean that it has to be in front of a large group of people like this is. It means that we have a responsibility, I think, one-on-one to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you live, wherever you go, wherever you work, there you are. And you have that responsibility to reach out to people. I'm not saying that you need to carry your Bible and thump people over the head of it and just quote scripture all day long. No, I'm talking about have a relationship with them. Get to know them and love them. And when opportunity presents itself, or sometimes you just got to create an opportunity, you share with them what God has done in your life. You know, the, the leaders of this church and pastors all over the world, we cannot be physically present with every single person that attends a church just as Jesus, not because he he couldn't, but because when he was on earth, he limited himself, and he was not physically present with every person on the face of the earth at the same time. He was limited by time and space. That's why we have this mandate to preach the gospel. And the last one was to, to baptize. Well, who are we going to baptize? We're going to baptize all those people that come to know who Jesus is. That's, the, that's an after the fact. All this other stuff is kind of is leading up to it. And not that we're just going to... We're going to get people to come and, and, and to accept that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. But then we also have a, a process of, of teaching them and helping them along and helping them to grow. You know, the thing about, thing about the Great Commission that I, this passage of Scripture, I should say, that I think is one of the biggest struggles is that it's so familiar. And we hear it and we're just like, yeah, I've heard it before, you know. Someone can read a familiar passage of scripture and we just like unconsciously automatically check out because we know it. But here's the thing. Scripture, although it may become familiar to us, never loses its power, never loses its effectiveness, never loses its its sense of urgency or intentionality. And just because I may be familiar, it doesn't mean that I should, I have any less responsibility for what I'm reading. And I think sometimes we need to approach Scripture and say, God, help me to read this or hear this as if I've never read or heard it before. Because, yes, we are 2,000 years removed from Jesus making this statement. But here's the cool thing. 2,000 years ago, it was about 500 people. Here we are today, and I don't know the exact figure, but I would estimate that there are over a billion believers across the world, maybe even more. So from 500 people, there is now over a billion That tells me they took it seriously. We are all here today because somebody did some piece of what we're reading. You would not be here today if somebody wasn't acting out their responsibility for the Great Commission. I would not be here today. We cannot respond to something we have not heard. We cannot respond to an individual who has not yet approached us. 
We are all here today because people throughout the world and throughout history have taken this seriously and have said, you know what, God, I am going to do this and not me in and of myself, but you who empower me to do this. God accomplishes his purpose and his plan through us with his power and his spirit. He's not asking us to reach down inside of us and pull stuff out that isn't there and make stuff that isn't there. He has given us everything that we need and we have a responsibility to partner with him and allow him to accomplish his purpose and his will through us. We're conduits. He uses our faculties, our ability to speak, our ability to think, our ability to breathe, our ability to walk, our ability to travel. He uses that to accomplish his purpose. Remember, this is his idea, not ours. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we would rather Jesus be physically here or not, it doesn't matter because this is how it is. And that's what we have to align ourselves with. And I just, I just think about that, and it didn't really hit me until I was up here for first service, the idea that 2,000 years ago it's 500, and here we are today. Our church is bigger than the original amount of people that heard this great commission, and they went out. And where did they go? They went to their city, to their country, and to their world. They went to Jerusalem, then to Judea, and Samaria, and then the places beyond that, and the places beyond that, and the places beyond that. And here we are today. And guess what? There are still a lot of people around the world who don't know who Jesus is. And it still applies to us today. There are people in the, around this area, in House Springs or whatever city you live in, that don't know who Jesus is. So it still applies today that we have to reach our city, our country, and our world. As Faith Community Church, now what do we do? We reach our city, our country, and our world. We've been doing that for 50 years, and we need to continue to do that in the future. I think with a greater, a greater level of uh, emphasis, a greater level of passion, and a greater level of intentionality that we need to reach our city, our country, and our world. What is our city? House Springs, that's where the church is. Your city may be High Ridge, it may be uh, Scottsdale, it may be Hillsboro, it may be DeSoto, it may be Fenton, it may be Arnold, it may be Baldwin, it may be Manchester. Wherever it is, you live in a city. What is our country? Obviously, it's the United States of America. What is the world? Every other place that borders and doesn't border our country is who we reach. And the thing about it is, is this, is that it can't just be, as Faith Community Church, it can't just be our city, our country, and our world. It has to become your city, your country, and your world. It has to become personal to you. It has to become alive within you because we cannot afford to simply associate ourselves with an organization and then by default think because we're associated or affiliated, that's good enough. We need to do it corporately, but we have to do it individually. We have to. There are people that you know that I don't and people that I know that you don't. And I can't wait till Sunday or Wednesday to do that. This is a seven-day, 24-hour-a-day thing that we do. And I believe it begins with having a heart for people and loving people and seeing that people are really God's plan. I shared last week that Sister Sarah Snodgrass asked me, you know, or she was, we were talking and someone asked me, Jonas, what is your five-year plan? I didn't have a five-year plan. And I said, I just think that people are God's plan. And she said, I agree. I believe that people are God's plan too. And that she is still reaching people to this day. That's encouraging to me. My grandfather is a retired pastor. He's in, he's in, his, uh, he's in his 70s. And a few weeks ago, he came and spoke to the individuals who run the bus ministry. My grandfather, um, 
ran a bus ministry in Arnold, Missouri, almost 30 years ago, and they, they reached, they, they, re, they were taking buses downtown St. Louis and picking up kids out of the projects, and it was amazing. But I saw my grandfather, who's confined, he, he can't move like he used to, and he, he, uh, he can walk a little bit, but he sat in a chair, and he spoke for maybe an hour and a half, and I saw him at his age speak with probably more passion and more zeal than I've ever had cumulative in my life about people and about what he did 30 years ago and and what he did all the way until he retired. And when he retired, he made this statement to his church. He said, I always said, if I couldn't love you, I wouldn't pastor you. And to this day, every ounce of my grandfather is about loving people. And I I thought about, you know, if my grandpa asked me (laughs) before he passes, Josh, what do you want? I said, I just want a double portion of what you have. Of, of loving people. And not just the people that benefit us, but the people that may never benefit us, the people that may cause us more harm than good. Because it's not about, it's not about a transaction. This isn't a transactional love. This isn't a transactional commission. I shouldn't just reach someone because I hope they get saved, and if they don't, then I push them aside and go to the next person. No, I, I love you, and I'm reaching out to you because Mark said, God said in the gospel... Every creature, regardless of race, regardless of language, regardless of socioeconomic class, regardless of how good they smell or how bad they smell, regardless of how much they, ch- they support the church financially, regardless if we think they're taking advantage of us. Now, we need to be smart. We need to use wisdom. But I, people, let's love people. And I think that Jesus was really saying, go into all the world and reach people. Not with what you have to say, not with what you think, and not with what you think is best, but with this right here, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. With everything that I've said, everything that I've done, that's what I want you to do. If I could have the band return. And I'm just so excited because I know that that this church, we're healthy, number one. And I know that we love people. But I also know this. I know that, the, like as Jesus said, the fields are ripe for harvest, so to speak. You know, the condition of, of, of the world today and where we're at, I think that a lot of people are looking for truth. A lot of people are looking for something that's authentic and that's genuine and that's real. And they're trying to fulfill this, what I believe is a God-shaped size hole in every person's heart, so to speak. That's what Billy Graham said. They're trying to fill it with a lot of stuff and a lot of things that we don't agree with and that we don't uh, approve of. And they don't, know what they, want. they don't know what they want, but we know what it is they need, and that's Jesus. And that's to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that unfortunately, instead of always presenting the gospel, we present that which we disagree with. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and tell them how wrong they are. He didn't say, I want you to go to your city, your country, and your world, and condemn them. He didn't say, I want you to go to your city, your country, and your world, and create division and strife. I'm not advocating that we don't address issues. I'm not advocating that we we bend over backwards to accommodate. What I am advocating is is that our default message has to be the gospel. The gospel confronts. The gospel meets people right where they're at. 
The gospel demands a response. The gospel gets up on the inside of people and reveals to them that which they're doing is not right and they're wrong. The Holy Spirit is the one who's in charge of convicting, convincing, and converting. We are messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have morality. And yes, we stand up for what we believe in. But not at the expense to prove to somebody that they're wrong. We just need to love people and love them enough to tell them the truth and tell them the truth in love and to tell them the truth with grace. You know, there is a, uh, and I'm not going to mention names, but there's a a gentleman that I I met when I first started working here um, almost a year ago. He's a parent of one of the students that comes on the bus. He's three children. And I met him because I went over to take his son uh, out to eat just to talk. And um, he expressed a need and, and asked if I had any firewood. And I said, you know, I'd, yeah, I got a bunch. I bought and I had more than I could ever use. So I started giving him firewood. And then, uh, and then it just it, it, it mushroomed from there, so to speak. I started seeing him more frequently and, and uh, helping him go apply for jobs and um, taking him to do his taxes he didn't have a vehicle and um it just started a relationship with him and it wasn't it wasn't always convenient and if he's here i don't think he is but if he's here he understands it wasn't always convenient um but i just had this thing in the in 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 the pit of my stomach that this is the right thing to do and uh, i didn't like i said i didn't always like it but um i've been praying for him and uh, trying to help him any way that I can. He hasn't had a job in, in over a year, and uh, just trying to love him. And you know what? He, he hasn't come to church yet. It's okay. His kids have come here and there, but he hasn't shown up. But you know what? Last week I, I saw him. He's been helping us do some things out here um, at the church. And he said, "Hey, he said, hey, Josh, do you have a pair of uh, <laughs> of black dress pants?" And I said, "What size?" He told me a size, and I'm like, "No, I don't have that size." But I think we can get you some at, at piece by piece. I said, why do you need pants? He said, I got a job. I got a job. And um, it just, uh, I was so excited for him. I think I was more excited than he was. But anyway, uh, he, he, uh, he came over to the house later that day for something. And he said, hey, I read in the paper that you might become the pastor of that church. And I said, I, you know, I did. It, it became, and he shook my hand, and he said, that's awesome. He said, I think you're going to do a great job. And I'm, I'll, he goes, when things get better for me, I'm going to start bringing my family. And um, I've grown to, to love him and appreciate him, and he may never come. He may never come. But it's okay. It's okay. Because that's not what it's about. It's not about him coming to this church. It's about him meeting Jesus. And whether he makes a decision within the four walls of this church or some other church, it doesn't really matter because the kingdom of God is what we're about. It's God's kingdom, not our church. And um, I didn't share that story for a service, but I just felt it appropriate. And uh, like I said, our city, our country, and our world has to become your city, your country, and your world. And the now what portion of 
the message today. So now what are we going to do? Well, I just wanted to tell you this. Five things that we're going to do as a church. We're going to go. We're going to make disciples. We're going to teach. We're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to baptize every person who comes to know who Jesus is. I want you to stand with me. And I want to ask for a group participation moment in the church this morning. I want, to, I want us to pray for our city, our country, and our world. Because you know what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to reach our city. We're going to start right here in House Springs. We're going to reach our country, and then we're going to reach our world. But we're not going to reach any of those at the expense of the other. You know what I mean? We're not just going to go overseas and neglect our city. We're not just going to go to other states around the country and neglect House Springs, nor are we just going to stay in House Springs and neglect our country and neglect our world. It all, it all works together. We're going, to, we're going to do it all because God's going to help us and God's going to provide for us and God's going to send us out. So here's what I want us to do. I want this side of the room to turn and face that wall. You guys get to stay where you're at. You're going to face this way. I would like for you guys to turn around and face that wall. I'd like for you guys, if you figured it out by now, you got it, to face this wall. What I want us to do is I want us to extend our hands in each of these directions. And we're going to pray together. We're going to pray that we can reach our city, our country, and our world. I want us to pray together for that. And I don't know if it's north, south, east, and west. I'm not good at that stuff. But all I know is it's four different directions. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we have the greatest message of all, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than the gospel. There is no any news that's any more good than the good news of Jesus Christ. So we just, as our hands are extended these directions outside these four walls of this church, Father, we just ask you right now that you would send us to the people who need to hear about you. We ask you, God, right now for the people that need to know who you are, that this is a welcoming place for them. This is a safe place where they can come and they can hear about Jesus Christ and they can be transformed. So we ask you for the brokenhearted. We ask you for those struggling with depression. We ask you those that are battling addictions. Father, we ask you that for those that are battling financial issues. Father, we just ask you for every person in House Springs, God, for every surrounding city, for every person in the U.S. and every person around the world, God, to give us an opportunity, Father, to reach them with the message of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, you're going to fill this place up with people who need to know about Jesus because they know that if they come here, that they can hear the truth, that their life can be changed, and that God's shaped size hole in their heart can be filled and can be fully met. We thank you for freedom in this place. God, we thank you that no matter what someone walks in here with, we will accept them and love them and walk with them through it. We will not push away. We will not, our posture will not be one of you. got to change before you come, but come one, come all, and we'll let the message of Jesus Christ and the word of God change you from the inside out. Thank you for a heart for people. God, we thank you for your heart for the lost. We thank you for your heart for your word, your hunger, God, for your word. And again, we will be those who speak life and not death, and we will do your word. In your name we pray, amen.